You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and joining me, joining me easy for me to say, at the roundtable today <laughs> is my good friend, Brent Bergram. How are you, Brent? Hey, doing well. Good Excellent. to be here. We have plenty to get through, so let's get straight to it. All right, yes. first off, we took a little bit of abuse from our last episode. We sure did. We, yeah. we had a few people that did not agree with us uh, about the uh, the episode we did last week where we covered Apple's refresh of the uh, mid-2018 MacBook Pro. They had a brand new, they refreshed the lineup here in mid-2018. Uh, we offered suggestions in that episode for how photographers who are going to buy the new model recommendations on on where it makes sense to spend the extra money because there's all these configuration options as you go to buy it. It's certain, you know, several hundred dollars for this, seven hundred dollars for that. Is it worth doing? So we offered suggestions for all of that. And then as we predicted, we had a lot of feedback <laughs> from our really incredible community. We love you all. We're so glad that we have that. I mean, even though they disagreed with some of the things that we said, that's fine. That's great. We're just really glad we have an audience that's engaged enough to go at, even on Facebook and, and tell us that they did disagree. That is perfectly fine. Everyone can is, is free to disagree with whatever we say. Uh, it's not like we're uh, you know the end all of, <laughs> of opinion and, and what should be going on. So... So we're really glad to have the feedback. But um, I needed to have an item here this week again. I, I know we covered it pretty well last week. And, and for photographers who want kind of that advice, go check out that episode. There'll be uh, links in the show notes to it. And, and you can, should go check that one out. But I, we have to continue a little bit more just because Apple actually changed something in the past week. Over a week's time, something significant happened. And we got to cover that. Um, so, But first off, Brent, I wanted to give you a chance to be able to kind of address kind of the disagreements that we saw out there in the Facebook group um, so that yeah. you, you can kind of talk through it. Yeah. You know, we just, we had folks that were just very supportive of what Apple's doing. And actually, quite frankly, usually I'm very supportive of what they're doing too. And for me and my remarks, I just felt, you know, maybe I could clarify a little bit and say that, you know, your specific question was, will we update? You know, right. Connor was on with us as well. And my answer was no. And really the true reason my answer is no is I just got a computer seven months ago. Oh, and right. so I had I had what was the most current version. And so there's no reason for me to update. It's not enough of a change for me to update. However, you know, if I were to put my uh, you know, my glasses on that foretells the future. If if I were to have had this um, update come through and my computer was uh, three to five years old, then I would say, you bet I would update. Uh, I would still probably complain about the fact that it only has USB-C, but, you know, seven months down the line, I'm actually kind of starting I guess you could say getting used to that whole USB-C thing because there's enough other peripherals out there that are USB-C compatible or without needing that adapter cable, et cetera. Right. And so that's becoming less and less of an issue. But I still don't see that I would go to the i9 processor, nor absolutely would I not do the four terabyte <laughs> of storage. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I don't know that it's uh, it, certainly I guess you could say it's a price point on the four terabytes of storage, but I, I just don't need that much space on my local machine. Right. I can't imagine if I were to have that. Probably I would use it because, you know, we tend to use w what we have. But <laughs> like the goldfish, backup? we just expand to the size exactly. of our container. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But can you imagine the backup solution you'd have to have oh. for that? I just... You know, it boggles my mind uh, to think about that. Of course, um, I have four to, uh, a four terabyte backup on my home computer and eight terabyte backup on my work computer. So actually, I'm sorry, 16 terabyte backup on my work computer. <laughs> right. So it's, you know, maybe it's not a big deal, but still carrying that much space around on my computer, I just... I just don't see the need for it. I, I prefer the external drives, which again, there was a time where I was like, external drives, that stinks. Yeah. I'll never use an external drive. 
but you know, it's just, you kind of go and you ebb and flow. I would absolutely, and you recommended upgrading to that 32 gigs of RAM. I would absolutely, absolutely do that. Yep. And one thing I also wanted to cover too, is to say, yeah, Apple's charging $400 for an additional 16 gigs of RAM. But just a couple of generations of computers ago, they were charging $600 to get you up to 16 right. gigs of RAM. And so the price that they're charging has gotten way better. You can still, if you were to go on the market and buy separate RAM chips, you could still find a better price. But, you know, that that disparity is becoming less and less in this uh, line of computers. So I would absolutely do the 32 gigs of RAM. And then as a little bit of a tangent here, Blackmagic has also released a GPU, which sits to the side. It's a box that I forget the exact dimensions. It's about, I don't know, 10 inches tall, maybe eight inches tall and about five inches square, something along those lines. And that would be great for the MacBook Pro being able to take on the extra power of that GPU, that graphics processing unit, and be able to do your videos and maybe you're doing some work in After Effects or something like that. And actually, some of my work, a lot of my work is starting to move in that direction, both personally and at the school. And I would start, you know, something like that. Now, that device is $700. That's actually kind of intriguing to me. But again, this is the kind of thing to where I say, you know what? I don't want another thing on my desk. (laughs) I would love to see LG or someone else come out with a 5K resolution monitor. They already have monitors that have – it's basically a – a hub where uh-huh. you can plug in your USB devices, you can plug in your network or whatever the case is, throw a GPU in there, I'm, I'd be sold. So that's the kind of thing where I, I would rather at this point have it in my have buy a new screen and do that rather than have this extra box sitting out here. I already have an extra hub. I've got a hard drive that's a hub. I've got uh, a Promise Technologies hub. I've got a monitor that's a hub. Let's simplify that and <laughs> and put it into one unit. That would be beautiful. I would be so happy. Yeah. I, the concept of external video is a good one. I just think it's early. It's it's a little too early on it. I've already heard uh, some people talk about it that were all over this, and there were like driver issues still that were challenges for them. So oh, really? the concept is great. I think yeah. it's it's absolutely the right direction. I love the idea of like saving your battery when you're not needing it and not yeah. running that massive uh, power consuming GPU when you're maybe on the road and right. only want to use your laptop to browsing or something you're not editing. Uh, I love the idea of being able to do that. I, I It's not completely new. Like I, I bought a, a Windows laptop and it's not going to compare, but it was like five or six years ago I bought one that had kind of that concept inside of itself. You you could switch. They called it switchable graphics and you mm-hmm. can switch between the Intel CPU, that's the, CPU, the video that's built into the Intel CPU or the AMD uh, graphics card that was inside the laptop. It was terrible. (laughs) The implementation Hmm. was so awful, I had to turn it off. And I had to run the GPU always just to make the thing go. Anyway, lots of problems with Windows on that one, so it's not necessarily... uh, indicative of everything, but kind of reminiscent. Uh, like I'm, I'm reading similar struggles as you as they're working on this. Not to say sure. that it's going to continue. Uh, like this is going to happen. It's going to be awesome, right. but it's early. And so I, I think it's just like if you're uh, a, a massive video editor, and that's that's who I've seen kind of using this and review it. They they are this is their business is doing tons of massive video editing. Then um, they, they of course made total sense for them to grab a brand new macbook pro with the i9 and get this thing just to see how does it do how does it perform is this something that's going to change our business because we can do things more more quickly and and have a workflow improvement and their tests were yeah not yet (laughs) right it's not quite ready but they're really excited at the prospects of it and i am too that's really cool it's it's really I love put, uh, Apple pushing themselves to try to, to get there and respond to that market. They, they've they been you starving bet. for some news in this space for a while. For sure. Okay. So here, here's what the update was. Um, what what changed, if you, you'll remember, if, if you listen to the last episode, I also did not recommend the Core i9 processor. I recommended that photographers, if they were going to go buy one of these new machines, a 15-inch model, they have the option of Core i9, and I was recommending stay away from it. And it was because initial reviewers who had hands-on with the unit, and I don't have hands-on to draw upon, so all I can do is rely upon the people that I'm reading, reviewing these things. 
um, they were having struggles with throttling, which means so the CPU is rated to run at a certain frequency and and the more megahertz or gigahertz now is, is how it's recorded. The more gigahertz, the faster it goes and the more performance you get out of it. It's not a, a straight linear thing like one gigahertz on one CPU doesn't exactly match to the gigahertz on another because there's more factors to it. But as a general rule, it's it's a good thing. And in particular, it's a good thing for Lightroom. Lightroom is really good. It, it improves in performance the higher those gigahertz get. And the Core i9 had a much higher gigahertz rate until you started to use it and put load on it like video editing that's again i was reading people who were video editors who were putting this thing really through its paces and um they found that initially as it was released when you put a bunch of load on you were rendering video it throttled it so so low on that gigahertz rating it was worse than if you bought the i7 processor like Mm. way worse it was getting down into really slow gigahertz ratings and uh, affected the whole performance. It, it was like you were paying for, you paid $400 extra to get this core i9 processor in there and then you couldn't use it <laughs> like ever. You couldn't actually have it be doing the processing that it was supposed to do. And it so was kind of like buying a Ferrari and only driving in the parking lot. Yeah, just you, you and and like the, the car itself was limiting you. Like, no, you yeah. can't go any faster than twenty miles an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and so anyway, the Apple got with some of these initial people who were reporting this issue. They worked through. They found a firmware setting that was supposed to be set in the firmware and wasn't. So they now hmm. have provided a supplemental update, the macOS update. And users have gone back and tested after applying that update and are reporting, yep, it's actually fine now. It's, uh, awesome. I mean, they're going to need to see, do some more testing, but at least they're able to see the CPU is not throttled down so much that it's useless, which is making me change my, um, my recommendations now. If it's in the budget, if you can afford to get the Core i9, uh, you may as well. And it's not because of the, the the six cores. I mean, the Core i7 also had six cores. It's because of that faster clock rate on the, on the processor that really is meaningful to Lightroom in having better performance. And it's going to future-proof it more. As you, uh, yeah. as you, as you buy this thing, if, if you're like a lot of photographers who have to depreciate this over three to five years... If you buy it and you invest enough now to in that Core i9, that's going to future-proof you and, and make you happy with this machine for those three to five years. And even though Apple's surely going to update again, you know, within the next couple of years, you're going to probably be able to say, it's okay, I got, I got the i9. <laughs> I'm good. I can wait until the next refresh after that. Maybe skip one or two refreshes before you, you're buying a new one again. Um, the Core i7, I think you're probably also going to be able to do that. I don't, I don't think the difference between the two, and I'm, I'm going to have an article over at phototacopodcast.com where I'm going to detail all of this stuff. I'm going to go through the, the rough performance differences and the cost differences so that photographers can make an informed decision about how they want to do it. But I have to at least step back and say it was okay. It's okay now with the supplemental update to Mac OS. The Core i9 is at least a, an option that, that you're going to be okay to have. So that's and, what we wanted to cover. Sorry, and in the notes, you you have a little thing here saying that uh, a 4K export of video is coming in at about 50% better performance as compared to a base model iMac Pro. Yes, so if you loaded it with the Core i9 and 32 gig of RAM and you kind of maxed it out, not the storage, but you maxed out the rest of the machine, so about sure. a $3,500 price. Um, as the video editors were doing testings, Final Cut Pro doing a 4K export, um, it was 50% faster to do that video render over what the base model iMac Pro was. So that's pretty wow. pretty impressive. It's pretty good and, performance. And just think what's going to happen when they figure out the bugs with that black magic gpu yeah yeah that sucker is gonna move <laughs> yeah because you're right this, this was well and today the video renders 
for the most part, are not really leveraging the GPU either. That's why it's, okay. it's a good test for the CPU differences. Good point. Right. Um, the, the GPU is used more kind of as you're doing the, the editing itself and kind of previewing what your edits are looking like. That's where it comes yeah. into play. Um, some of them do kind of tap into it some, but that's it's kind of a whole problem space. Like, do we go GPU acceleration here or do we go CPU? And uh, they're, they're, that's also kind of a moving target right now. But that's, that's why it was a really important important test to do because uh, the it'll test the multiple cores and it will test the the cpu um uh clock rates so anyway it's it's Very good cool. stuff it's all good news and it makes it so that i can now say you're good to go if you can afford it if it's in the budget you're good to go with that core i9 maxing out the cpu and uh helping you get proof uh, future proofing yourself with run on lightroom and, okay. you know, with, with the story of that, too, and how Apple basically just had a firmware update kind of a thing, um, I suppose I would just say, you know, kudos to the Apple engineers for even putting the possibility of, okay, you know, they were testing, I'm sure, as they were building this thing. Someone just forgot to flip a switch when before they shipped yep. it. But, you know, um, that's that just speaks to the quality, I would say, of the hardware that you're buying, too. Sure. I mean, that's that's sure. good stuff. It is. It, it still kind of baffles me like, okay, I, I get that stuff. You have lots of people involved with producing these products. There's lots of yeah. processes going on, but no one tried like a final unit and did a render <laughs> like one time right. and like, <laughs> what is going on? This was not how it tested before the final product. I don't know. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't, doesn't seem like that should have gotten through, but it's complicated. I understand. I'm going to give Apple the benefit of the doubt here. They fixed it really fast and, and that's good. Nice. Yeah. All right. So Brent... Tell me about a mobile backup solution. I know you're you're traveling a lot and you're taking photos <laughs> and you're trying to manage, you know, the rather big photo files and you don't want to lose them. So, yeah. what are you doing to to back up your 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 photos as you're out on the road? Yeah, so I just picked up a new device and I had listed it as my um doodad of the week uh two episodes ago i think it was and it's the lacy dji co-pilot and if you were to go onto their website lacie.com and click on their products they have an item called boss all capital b-o-s-s and so this is a two terabyte hard drive that is also got a, a battery built in so i would be able to uh, charge my phone or otherwise you know if i had a, a usb adapter for my camera battery i could even charge my camera battery as well and then it has a thing where you can connect your phone and you can, can you can look at your pictures and you know control them uh, via your phone with a little app that they have i'm not necessarily interested in that but i might give it a try sure but it will it'll take the sd card and then you just hit a button and it just copies them off so i tested that out and it actually copies pretty fast, and it's it's pretty sweet how quickly it does that. And, of course, it's two terabytes of storage. It has the USB-C port on there, which is pretty much the reason I bought it, uh -huh. because there's a Western Digital item out there that has the USB 3, uh, the Micro-B, and um, that's all fine. I actually have a, an, an adapter cable, but... You know, I'm trying to migrate what I can over to this USB-C. Yeah, do it native. Uh, uh -huh. Exactly. Trying to keep it native. And um, the thing about this device, it is a little bit larger than your average portable hard drive because it has that battery in there. And then it has this huge silicone uh, bumper around it. So it will withstand some drops and everything like that. And they also call it moisture resistant and whatever else. And then on the top of the drive, you can't tell it when it's off, but when you hit the button, there's actually a screen on there that gives you some feedback as to what's happening. It'll tell you how charged the battery is. It'll tell you how uh, the status of the copy. And if it has a few other things that's just you know, contextual based on what you're doing. And uh, when it turns off, it completely goes away and you cannot tell there's a screen on there at all. So I'm going to put a label on the other side so I know that's not the screen side <laughs> because it's really difficult. Both that's sides funny. look exactly the same. So I'm going to put a little sticker or, or something. I don't know just what, but I'm going to do that. But I wanted something where I'm spending two and a half weeks in Hong Kong and China here in a little while. And I am not planning on carrying my computer everywhere, but I do feel the need uh, for a big trip like this. I do feel the need to have uh, the ability to just copy my SD cards right away and get that additional copy 
on some onto something else. Yeah. So this yeah. is going to fit that bill. Okay. So, first, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I want to ask you some questions about this because I don't have anything like this. I don't travel that much, so it hasn't been a massive need. I mean, I've heard some people even so worried about it though that it's not even a, a big travel destination. It's like even at a wedding. They uh, right. they purposely use smaller SD cards, which I've recommended for some time now too. So you don't, if you lose a card, you don't corrupt your entire shoot. Right. Um, and so they'll they'll purposely use like maybe a sixteen gig card so that they have to change it as it's getting full. And then they the they take it out of the camera and they immediately stick it into one of these kinds of devices so that it backs up. And now I have it on my card and on the hard drive, and right. that just you know takes a lot of worry out of some people that they're not going to lose a wedding that you can't reproduce and they're going to have those photos backed up. So, so I, I, this is a common use case. I have heard this question asked many times in our Facebook group in particular. And some of the other listeners have, have pointed me to the, uh, my passport wireless pro device has a right. very similar kind of thing. Did you look at it and compare it with this Lacey device? Yes, and that's the um, that's the Western Digital one that I was uh, basically thinking about, and that one also has Wi-Fi connectivity. Yeah. So if you wanted to be able, you know, to share your files amongst your family, friends, what have you, you can give them the password or whatever to connect to this device, and then they can have access to it. Certainly, the wireless transfer is going to be really slow, so I wouldn't ever right. recommend utilizing that for any serious work. But for just, you know, if you're shooting. Uh, some JPEGs or if you're like, hey, here's the file you need and they can hunt for it, then they can just download the one or two files. Uh, I did uh, compare it to that device and that's the one that I was about to actually send this one back and go for that one. So the thing about this one, it's about almost five and a half inches wide by about just under four and a half inches. um, Well, I should say five and a half inches long, four and a half inches wide and about one and a half inches thick. Uh And that uh, Western digital item is only about an inch thick. So it's a little bit thinner, but it's five inches square. And then it also doesn't have the nice, um, it doesn't have the nice silicone. Now they do have one that's got an orange uh, wrap around and that uh-huh. looks like it's a, a nice padded. So it, you know, would do well if you were to drop it or what have you. Uh, but the reason that I, I initially opened this box, I, I got the B&H box and I was like, hmm, that seems a little heavier than it should be. And so I opened it up and I pulled out the, the nice packaged box. I mean, it's a beautiful package, but that sucker was heavy. And I was like, I do not want to carry that in my backpack which one was and the the western digital was no the, the I, I didn't end up buying that one this oh. was this one the, the oh, dji the, co-pilot okay. by okay. lacy uh-huh. and i was and i was like okay this this hard drive is just gonna break my shoulders because it's so heavy and so i was thinking man did they really pack it with that much battery you know <laughs> because i'm just trying to think how can it be so heavy yeah and and the box is kind of big too and i was just like wow and so i opened it up and the hard drive was like oh okay that's not too bad on the size and then i pulled it out and i was like well that's not too bad on the weight okay so they just over engineered the box all right oh, okay and then i noticed instantly there's a wall adapter for charging oh, it. Oh, okay. I was okay. like, no. <laughs> I was like, I need to go light. I need to go simple. I need to not have that stupid extra wall adapter. And then also I'm starting to think, um, because, uh, and, and you know, when I'm on B&H's website, it didn't stick out to me that it needed a wall adapter. And, um, then I started thinking too, and I start looking around on, on different the different websites, the company's website, and other places. You know, does it need to have that battery charged or plugged in to even work? Uh-huh. Because it's a 12 volt input, and I was just like, why are they designing this with the 12 volts of input? That doesn't make any sense to me, uh, because it's only a hard drive. It should operate off of five volts USB, and so I was just like, I'll just. You know, I'll calm down. I'll see how it goes, <laughs> see how it performs, see how long the battery lasts. I know the battery's not going to last two and a half weeks. So when I was plugging it into my computer and t- taking it off and doing this and that, just doing the different tests with the different copies of the SD cards, uh, I noticed that when I ejected the drive, the little screen on the hard drive, it actually changed and it said not something about not connected to computer, charging only. And I was like, wait, what? So when it's plugged in through the USB-C, it actually will receive a charge off of the computer or, you know, that USB uh, input. Okay. And I was like, sold. (laughs) 
<laughs> because I don't have to have that 12 volt. Now I'm sure if I were to use their uh, device to charge it, it would probably charge a lot faster. Sure, sure. I'm not so, you know, I spend my nights sleeping and I plug in my devices. I'm not so concerned about having it charged ultra right, fast. Right. So it's the fact that it can charge like this, excellent. And if I have to, I can even just use my MacBook Pro charger because I don't know if you've noticed those items, but on the new ones with the USB-C, they will output, uh, depending on your piece on, on the device you're charging, they will output about 20 volts, 9 volts, or 5 volts. So I can just plug that thing in directly, and it'll just give it the power it needs. And, you know, again, I'm fine. I don't have to worry about that extra battery charger, you know, adapter with all its plugs that it has for the different um, international plugs and whatnot. So uh, I was I was fairly pleased. And then it fits just nicely in a case that I already have that I was planning on it fitting in. So it's actually working just perfectly. It's going to fit nice in my pack. And I'm actually pretty happy with it. Okay, very good. That's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to see here how it went, like how uh, valuable it ends up being for you as you go on your trip and see if it's yeah. worked out like you expected. But it sounds like you're, you're set up and ready to go. I think it's going to do really well. And, you know, as I've mentioned, I've got a videographer coming with me. Yeah. That's really the big point. I want to be able to easily grab his videos. And it's not just about my pictures. It's about the videos and being able to uh, just quickly and easily grab those. Um, I suppose I should. He shoots Nikon, and for a while now, Nikon has had SD cards, but he's got a slightly older camera. I suppose I should make sure <laughs> that he does the uh, the SD card, but, you know, with that USB port that's on here as well, because it has a standard USB port, I can connect any USB device. It could be another hard drive. It could be the camera. Oh, wow. It could be any of the USB device, and I can copy it, those files off. So you, you've tried, like, a thumb drive in it, and you could pull that off? I haven't actually tried that yet, and if I can find a thumb drive on my desk, I will, but okay. <laughs> I'm not finding a thumb drive right now, uh, right. but I will try it. Oh, and it's also formatted with the XFAT formatting, which is fine for cross-compatibility between Mac and Windows, so very cool. it's all good. Nice. All right, that's a good solution. Yeah. Okay, we, we have one more topic that we want to cover in the, the little bit we have left, but first we need to take a small break here and thank a sponsor for this episode, and that is WeTransfer. 40 million people use WeTransfer to send and recite, receive files every single month. And since day one, they've really been devoted, uh, like about 30% of their ad space has been showcasing to creatives like you that are listening from around the world, musicians, illustrators, to photographers like us. And uh, so anyway, in that spirit, we're going to skip the rest of this 60 second ad and get right back to the podcast. But you got to go try out wetransfer.com. Wetransfer.com, you make wetransfer. All right, our last topic in this episode, we're going to go and talk, I, I guess, you know, Brent, you and I are so geeky, <laughs> we just tend to, <laughs> tend to talk about like technology topics a lot, uh, but it's it's been prevalent in the news too, so... It really has. <laughs> so I guess we're, we have some justification for it. Um, we're going to talk, our last topic is about <laughs> Photoshop on the iPad, so not quite as technical, although... I'm going to bring in a technical view on that. Sure. Um, so here's here's what happened. Uh, just in the last week uh, time here in, in mid-July 2018, mid to late, we're almost into the late July now, um, Bloomberg put out a report and they had an unnamed source of an Adobe software developer who told them that Adobe is planning to unveil a new Photoshop app at the upcoming Adobe Max conference that's in September or October, October 2018. And that this new app will be announced there and then released sometime in 2019. And he, I'm sure they wouldn't give their name because that would get them in a lot of trouble to, to leak that kind of information. But mm -hmm. it also, it, they can't publish that kind of stuff as an official position because it's still under engineering and it's still stuff can change and Adobe's not committing to it. But they did also get Scott Belsky, who's the Adobe's uh, chief product officer of Creative Cloud. They did get confirmation from him that Adobe is working on a brand new cross-platform iteration of Photoshop and some of the other applications in the Creative Cloud suite. So he at least did comment and say, we are working on something there. He didn't give any time frames, but he did say that they're working on something. And the new versions of the apps are going to allow people to run 
like full versions of the programs. They aren't going to be like, there's a Photoshop version today and a bunch of other apps from Adobe actually on mobile. And some of them are really good. Like Lightroom is uh, Lightroom CC on mobile is it's a fantastic app. I really like it. Um, but this is going to be more like what you get on the desktop. They're going to kind of bring them in parity with one another. It's going to be more similar to how it is on, on there. And then on the iPad, the idea is you, you're going to be able to be on any of the devices. So iPad, maybe they'll have Android too. Who knows? They didn't talk about that. But iPad in particular, you could start your edits there. And then if you needed to or you got home or whatever the situation, you want to continue and finish up those edits on your computer, then it's going to support that. So lots of people are pretty excited about this, rightfully so. It's kind of a, a cool idea and, and technology thing that can, could really help us. So Brent, I have a, a long take that I'm going to have on this. I have a lot of data <laughs> that I've gone and, and researched on, but I want to give you a chance first to kind of give me your reaction to this kind of announcement. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. So I definitely, I'm going to preface that by saying I do have a different I guess use case than most of our listeners, probably 98.2% of our <laughs> listeners or more. <clears throat> and that is I manage Adobe software on 20 plus computers at work and I dislike it. <laughs> I'm trying to be really calm here. Licensing for the enterprise editions of Creative Cloud has been a headache, and they've been starting to move over to what they call the named licensing, and our folks in our IT department uh, have somewhat you know, wrapped their minds around that idea, but as far as our licensing is concerned, we still do the standard uh, enterprise licensing, and what that means is that I go on to a special Adobe website and I download their uh, what they call the Creative Cloud Packager. I then run the Packager and I can include any software I want. If I wanted a Photoshop installer only, then I create a Photoshop installer. Um, all of that process works great. It's when I actually install it on the computer and expect it to run, it always is wanting to revert to that named licensing. And so whenever we talk about new stuff coming out from Adobe, my back just kind of starts tightening up and I start to cringe because it just means more work for me that is really difficult to, to, trot, to plod through. Now, if they can at the same time go through and fix the enterprise licensing so it's not such a, a cantankerous situation for me, then I'd be more open to it. So that part aside, let me try and get to what the experience would be for most users, and that is you have your named licensing. You sign in, you can use the software. It's that easy. Mm -hmm. And you can hit the update button. It's that easy. That right. part they have done really well with, and yeah. it's just wicked easy, and I really appreciate that. However, I don't know that this is going to do any good for me because – when I'm working in Photoshop, my files are huge. Uh, I've never really appreciated the mobile working style or platform. Uh, the iPad file management has always been proprietary. It's not been a standard uh, file management like you have on Windows or Mac where you just have your finder window and you can place the files wherever you please. <laughs> right. And so uh, that kind of thing, I've never wrapped my mind around. And whenever I hear about mobile editing, as it relates to an iPad, I get a little bit like, mm, I'm, I'm not that excited about it. Mm -hmm. Some people I know very much are. And I think that's certainly wonderful that they, that they can edit their pictures on the couch or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, maybe people would rather take their iPad to China instead of an extra hard drive sure, like I'm sure. doing. Right. Because right. I'm taking my 15 inch computer. Right. I'm also taking a hard drive. So that's a lot of stuff. If yeah. you could. Uh, get rid of that and just take your iPad, I can totally see the value right, in that. Right, right. And maybe with some maturity in this space, maybe I'll I'll gravitate towards that because I could see myself potentially working with a 13-inch iPad Pro and just load it up with a bunch of, you know, that's where I want my extra space. Give me four terabytes of space on that. Um, but still, with the transfer of the files and the like, I, I guess I need to see how that's really going to come together because – when I'm working with my multiple layers in Photoshop and I need to then move that to my computer, I could handle maybe a Wi-Fi transfer, but uh, a cloud transfer, I, I don't see that working very well for me. 
Yeah. Okay. So that, that's where I'm going to have some actual data to go through. Uh, it's data from yeah. me. So I don't know how prototypical I am of the average user, but at least for me, I'm going to go through kind of some, some actual numbers and, and kind of outline how practical or impractical this is. But I want to start off by first trying to, to calm, <laughs> calm listeners because I am going to, this is going to have some negativity in there. Of course, there's that. It's not, it's going to end up being not very practical is what I'm going to tell you. But I want to start <laughs> off by saying I love iPads. It's not that it's, it's an iPad that's the problem. They are so useful as media consumption devices. Absolutely. I mean, I... I prefer it over anything else. I've, I've now, I just recently got an Android tablet because I need to be able to test our podcasting stuff on Android. Google Podcasts is a big deal. And I, I want to make sure that we're good and we're ready and everything's working as it should for master photography and, and for my photo taco podcast. So I just got an Android tablet and I've really discovered a lot of stuff I don't like about it. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are like, wow. I mean, the price was a really good thing about it, but... Um, the user experience was not great and it's not top line. Anyway, iPads are wonderful. I love iPads. I, I really like the Lightroom CC app on there too, on the, on the iPad. It's very functional. I personally find it really intuitive too. Like even though the user interface is, is pretty different from what it is on the desktop in, in Lightroom Classic CC, I still, I find it very usable and, and I like it a lot. I know some people don't, they find it not so intuitive and tough to use, but I really liked it. Um, and then there's the pencil with the iPad. Boy, is that a big deal? That would be, it's so nice for, for really uh, a premium editing experience. Uh, kind of like a digital tablet, like maybe a Wacom, only with the with most of the Wacoms, you, you kind of have to have it be like off to the side, not looking at the device while you're looking at the screen. Makes it kind of a tough learning curve. And this is better because you're, you're just doing it right on the image. There is this antique stuff from Wacom, so that gives you kind of a similar experience kind of actually at the same price, but far less functionality. Like you can't really use it as a tablet and a a Netflix streaming device afterwards. So the iPad can do so much more. So I I love the iPad. They're very cool devices. Here's, Here's where the challenges lie. And I agree with you, Brent. It's just a matter of practicality and kind of where we are today. I think these problems are going to go away over time, but it's going to take some time. And today, it's just I'm not that excited about it because of these problems. So let me set the stage here with some some information about uh, Photoshop in particular. As I use Photoshop and I do it on every, I do a lot more portrait uh, shoots these days than I do landscapes. Um, but a lot of landscapes, when I get into them and really want to touch them up, I, I go in, I round trip into Photoshop to do kind of some very fine tuned editing that Lightroom just doesn't provide. Um, but it, and I do it a lot with my portraits. I'm in there way more than than even with the landscapes. And in the last few compositions that I've done and round tripping between Lightroom and Photoshop on my computer, the average file size was 256 megabytes in size. Okay? <laughs> so that's average. One of them was 732 megabytes. Those are big files, really big files. And yeah, there's things I could do to kind of flatten them down, but then I lose some of the capability. Like the layers are important. I want to have those layers preserved. I'm keeping them that size on purpose so that right. I can go back and do changes to them. My, my, my workflow is not staying the same. And if it ever is, I'm going to grow bored of photography in general. It's kind of what I like about it. It's always changing, always updating. I've gone back and re-edited files many times. Like a couple years later, I'll go back and I'll, I'll take another look at it. And I like the result even better. And I need all of that there. I want all of the, the layers there so that I can make changes and, and decide to do it differently than I did before. Okay, so I also have an upload speed of 10 megabits, which for the US, I think is slightly above average. I don't think, I think it's the average is smaller than that in the US. So I have an above average upload speed that's not download speed that can be way higher than that but an upload speed and that's important because devices as they sync as like if you started on your computer you'd have to upload to the cloud to get the things so that it could be downloaded to other devices or if you're started on your ipad your ipad's going to have to do upload in order to get it so it'll sync down to your computer so the upload speed because that's normally at least in the united states not the same as the download speed which is significant significantly faster. Uh, that's, that's the, the weak point in the system. 
at least for me. Um, so to send that 732 megabyte file I talked about was my composition Photoshop file. It would take over 10 minutes over that mm. 10 megabit upload speed for that one file to get synced. It would take 10 minutes. Okay, so that's that's going to be a problem. When they start, when they talk about that you can start edits on one device and finish on another, I'm going to draw a conclusion and an assumption here that that also means they're going to use Adobe Cloud Storage to make that happen. That's exactly how Lightroom CC works. You can start your edits on mobile. You can go to your computer, pull up the same Lightroom CC on your computer, and it just is all there and works. You have to wait for it to sync, and if you have the slow upload speed, it could take some time if you have files this big. But I'm going to assume that's the case, and this is another problem the price of Adobe cloud storage is just way too high for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. There is no way I could consider using the kind of cloud storage that I have locally on my computer. I'm my, ca my catalog, just the raw files themselves right now is over four terabytes. Uh -huh. So there's, <laughs> there is no way I can afford to have that replicated to the Adobe cloud. It's way too expensive. So even if the, the internet connection wasn't a problem, that that expense of that cloud storage is just too high. It makes it so that I today, even if I wanted to use Lightroom CC on mobile, I can't. I can't do it because the, the cloud storage is too, too great. I can't uh, make that happen. Okay, so another problem. You can buy a 10-inch iPad Pro with 512 gig of, of storage for about $1,000. And if I had nothing else on the device, so you can't put a single other application on there, I could only fit 716 of those Photoshop files that I talked about on there. And 716 might seem like a ton of files, but I have 93,120 photos in my catalog right now. <laughs> and that's just, you know, 716 is a tiny portion of them. And okay, sure, I'm not using Photoshop on every one of those 93,000 files. Absolutely true. It's a tiny fraction. But the limitations of the storage size on the iPad itself are another challenge here. It's another problem. Now, I, if I was Adobe, the way I would address that problem is I would make sure I have a really good system in place for managing the storage that's being used on the device by swapping out kind of the least recently opened file, whatever the, the one that's been closed for the longest, I would remove that from the device as I bring in a brand new one so that, uh, you know, you can keep the storage of the that's actually being used on the iPad itself down. But now you now you have a problem with the Internet again, with the speed that's going to take and swapping those files in and out. Uh, that's just, it's going to take a long time to make that happen. And, uh, and then now, now you bring in one more element of the internet for me, that would be a problem. I have a capped internet. I have only one terabytes, one terabyte of transfer a month that I can have mm. over my internet connection. And already, just with web browsing, uh, I have some security cameras, I have Netflix going on. We're already using 75% of that, just my family using our internet connection a, a, a month. And so I have 25% of that left. That means I could only move about 350 of those files a month before my internet provider would cap me and either charge me more or stop my internet connection. It's just not, it, all of these things stack up to the point where it's not practical. It's just not practical for me. I love the direction Adobe's going here. I don't blame them at all for moving in this direction. And things take long enough to, de to develop everything and, and have it get, uh, work out bugs and everything that they, I don't blame them a bit for working on it and getting it out there. But I can tell you, it's only going to be like a, a parlor party trick or something <laughs> where I would use this. Uh, it's not going to be a serious tool. It can't be because of all the trouble, the, all the problems, the practicality problems that I see with it for my own usage. Um, it's just it's just not going to work for that. So uh, it's a big challenge. I'm, I'm really glad to see everyone doing it. I'm, I'm glad Apple's working on their iPad products. I'm glad Adobe's pushing things on their creative cloud. They need to go there. 
But when it gets released in 2019, yeah, sure, I'll be downloading it. I'll have it available as an option. I'll try it once to just see how it works. <laughs> uh, but I don't expect to be using it as a serious tool because it just won't fit for me. Yeah, that's um, especially with your internet caps. Yeah. that's That just makes me think, you know, maybe Adobe will... Uh, either create something that allows you on your on like your local computer to you know create your own Wi-Fi connection so you could transfer just between the two devices, or maybe they'll bring back the validity of the cable, and you know if you plug <laughs> it into that lightning cable, uh, you can you know transfer those images super quick, and they'll maybe create their own uh, file management which will be nice and convenient. That would you know certainly work well. Uh, but man, with you know, you're not going to be the only one with those uh, no. data caps, and you know, there's a few people that probably only have cell phone only, uh, you know, access on their uh, for their internet. So, uh, whether it's through a device or through their phones or what have you, so it's certainly it's um, it'll be a challenge uh, if if they rely on the cloud. I think this is going to be a challenge uh, to get it pushed out to a lot of people. I guess one other thing, if you weren't afraid of data that I was thinking of while you were saying this, if they were to manage the mother file, if you will, on their cloud server, but only send JPEG previews, even though you have them stacked as layers and the like like that, and they send these highly compressed JPEG previews, uh, maybe that would you know free up space on your device itself. Sure. But there's still going to be a lot of data going back and forth between uh, their cloud servers and your device. Right. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what it comes out with. I'm reading a lot into the situation. Obviously, we don't have much information on this. Yes. I'm making a lot of assumptions, but I'm basing them off of something they've already done with how Lightroom <clears throat> CC works. And so I, I, I'd imagine it's going to be that way. And it's just, I wish it would. I wish things were different so that it would work. I wish the iPad had expandable storage so I could put an SD card in it and <sighs> and expand the storage. They never I will. Would love that. But I that would, would be awesome. That. Uh, I wish that I didn't have internet caps. I wish I had much faster upload speed. All those things, if, if all those problems went away, I would love to use this system. I would love to have this capability, not have to worry about picking which files I sync, which is kind of where it's at today. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those things. It, it would be a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's just not practical, at least not in 2018. It's not. And I can't imagine it'll be fixed by 2019 <laughs> to where it's practical, but yeah. we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, let's go on to close up the show here. Let's let's do our doodads of the week. I'm going to go first. Sure. And mine is I, I really want to make sure I choose things that I've actually used and can recommend and can can stand behind. And this is one that I haven't yet. So it's a wish list item. So everyone note that I haven't used it yet to be able to tell you whether it's good or not. But I'm really convinced that it's probably the next investment I'm going to make in my photography gear. And uh, it's the Godox AD200 strobe. And it's, so it's, it's going to be something that I, I think I will use in place of a couple of my young Nuo flashes. And uh, the problem is, it's $300 for one of them. <laughs> and that's yeah. a big difference from the, I don't know, 70, 80 bucks, whatever it is for these days for the, the young Nuos. And they've served me so well. I, I bought a few several years ago and they're, they're still going strong. They're going great. But this Godox uh, Flash, it has um, high-speed sync capabilities, which I'd love to play with a little bit. And it has just uh, higher power output. It has rechargeable batteries in it, so you don't, you're not dealing with AA batteries, um, which can be a pro, actually, with my flashes. If, I've, if I'm ever at a place where I'm running out of power, uh, I can just go to a gas station and pick up some AA batteries, and we're good to mm -hmm. go again. So that's kind of a pro... I kind of like those, but the lithium ion battery that's inside this flash is going to last longer. It allows it to have the higher power output too and faster cycle times. That's I, a, a big one there, I think. Yeah, yeah, faster cycle times is a big deal. So anyway, all, all those things, um, as strobes of this kind of uh, functionality are, these are fairly inexpensive at $300. There's certainly other strobes that are far more money than that for similar functionality. So uh, it's why I finally got some, had some uh, attention here was because they, they came down to a price level where I can actually consider it. I'm not buying them yet because that's still a lot of money and I, I, I'm going to have to save up some to get there. But it's my pick of the week for, for due debts of the week. What do you got, Brent? 
Yeah, that flash looks very interesting. So I'll have to I'll have to give that <laughs> a better look. But you know, I've spent a lot of money these last couple of weeks. So <laughs> I picked up. Uh, I imagine someone in the in the past has probably used this as a um, as a doodad. But anyway, I picked up an extra tripod for travel. Uh, I actually picked up two of them. I have the um, the Monfrotto One Ninety Go. I've been using the aluminum one for a while and I started looking at the carbon fiber and like, well, that's a pound lighter, you know, with all the hiking I'm going to be doing, I could use a pound lighter. Uh, but I also picked up the me photo my friend, my videographer friend is going to use this one and then students of the school or whatever. Uh, but I picked up a me photo travel tripod, titanium B and H had it on sale for like 70 bucks. So I figured, sure, I'm going to go ahead and pick one up. And this thing is so nice. It, folds down to about 12 inches when it's collapsed. It has five leg sections, so there's an awful lot of leg sections to extend. But when it folds down to about 12 inches, that thing just hides away uh, wherever you need it. And so that's basically the reason I bought it, because it's lightweight and folds down so stinking small. And it has uh, came with a, a head with the Arca Swiss compatible head. Nice. So it all works great, and it was you know seventy dollars, so not too shabby. Yeah, that's pretty good. The regular price is about one fifteen, so now they're back up to regular price. But I'm always watching B and H's deals, so that's when I picked it up. All right, excellent. Okay, so just to remind everyone, and I hope people will stick through and listen through all of this on the end. I, I kind of imagine everyone's like, "Oh, that's it, they're done, doodads, I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> but if you're still with us, there's a little more. Yeah, a little tiny bit more. And sometimes we have some important information here. So don't miss it. Don't skip it. Okay. So masterphotographypodcast.com. That's the home for the show. Today, we have mostly just show notes and links to the episodes out there, but there are plans to do more. So you're going to want to check it out occasionally. Uh, the Facebook group, if you haven't joined yet, that's you can search for Master Photography Podcast. You'll be able to find it. We do ask you that you have to you have to ask to join. We want to keep the bots and the spammers out of there and just have actual listeners in there. So you have to ask to join. You have to answer a question. You have to answer a question of a name of a, ho of a host. So Jeff or Brent will work. That's great. Or uh, any of the other guests that you may have heard on the, on the show. We just want to make sure that you're an actual listener. And I've had to turn away a lot of people. I've probably done, I don't know. I don't, a lot. We've I turned away a lot of folks that have asked to join the podcast because they didn't answer the question. If you don't answer, I can't let you in. It's just we can't do it. Uh, you can find Brent's work. Well, where Brent, where can you find your work? Brentbergherm.com is my personal website and latitudephotographypodcast.com. And I just interviewed Mia Beals with Guaylin Photography uh tours.com and that will be published on the latitude feed here very shortly probably tomorrow when about, about when this one is published and um looking i mean that's just a great experience uh that's going to happen there so uh then you can also figure uh find out the uh remaining gear that's left for sale of my closing my uh, lens rental company uh brent lenses.com and uh pick up uh, whether it's the legacy Leica M3 I just added last week or whatever is left. Actually, I just got uh, the 70 to 200 from Canon. Uh, just got that back this week from its last rental and the 24 to 70. So uh, those will be made available for sale here shortly. See, if you listen to the end, you get That's some right. extra information. You got it. <laughs> you want to listen to the end. You can find my work. JSHarmanPhotos.com. Uh, the S stands for Susie. So Jeff Susie Harmon, JSHarmanPhotos.com and PhototacoPodcast.com. Like I mentioned, I'm going to be posting very soon a lot of more detail about how to buy, uh, like what choices to make in buying a, a MacBook Pro. So you want to check out that article. It's not going to be a podcast episode. It's only going to be an article that'll be posted over there. And you can subscribe to the the the, con, the podcast there too. Uh, Facebook.com, I'm Harmon Jeff. Twitter, I'm Harmon underscore Jeff. Someone took Harmon Jeff. And Instagram, I'm also Harmon Jeff. So you can check me out there and, uh, and that'll be great. So thanks everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you listening to the podcast and we'll see you again in another seven days.